Welcome to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast, part of the Talent 409 Network. We are helping people discover their talent altitude. On this pod, listeners can learn about leadership and other related attributes from former and current successful business people, coaches, and athletes. Each episode will bring you a conversation with people that display the seven pillars of dynamic leadership. Someone who possesses those seven pillars has courage, drive and accountability, integrity, grit, great communication skills, a high level of emotional intelligence, and they can motivate others. We will also talk with individuals that use their athletic and competitive experiences to lead in life, in business, community, or in their family. My guest today as we roll through the Teachers and Coaches Appreciation Month on the podcast is my former math teacher, Corey Sinfraco. Corey is an aforementioned math teacher now at Fairport High School. She's also a volleyball coach and the varsity softball assistant coach at the high school. Prior to her teaching career, Corey competed in volleyball, diving, and softball at her alma mater, Liverpool High School. And then she also played three sports at Hamilton College. She's a huge Yankee fan. You will hear throughout the course of the conversation that family plays a very important part in Corey's life, both in terms of fulfillment, happiness, and the success that she's had. So this is a really exciting conversation to get to sit down with one of my former teachers and someone who really influenced me throughout the course of my life and continues to do so to this day. So let's sit back, relax, get comfortable. Let's get into the conversation, but first, let's jam a bit with Blink-182. Welcome back to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Today I have Corey Sinfraco on the line with me. Corey, thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And this is going to be a fun one for me because you're one of my former teachers and this is Teacher and Coach Appreciation Month on my podcast. And we're going to talk about so many great things. I know we're going to get into the course of our conversation today. But before we get too far away, I want to give you an opportunity to tell our listening audience, who are you? You know me as Corey O'Malley, mostly. I didn't get married until just after your years with me, but I was born in Liverpool, New York. We share an alma mater. I came up through Liverpool Public Schools and graduated from Liverpool High School in 1997. Had a really great upbringing as far as I'm concerned, really well-rounded. I have an older brother named Sean who kind of paved the way for me at school. Mom and dad got us involved in sports at a young age, and that was definitely, you know, a big part of my youth and uh, my connection with my brother and some of the tomboy part of my personality, I guess you could say. So I came up through elementary, middle, high school, playing lots of sports and uh, played three sports at Liverpool and loved each of them equally. And anytime anyone asked me my favorite, it was always whichever one I was in at the moment or about to start. (laughs) So I enjoyed the three seasons. I was very dedicated academically as well. So it was a kind of an overachiever in the classroom and sports were my fun outlet at the end of all of that. 
after Liverpool, um, graduating with such a big class and going to such a big school, I decided to take it down a notch for college. So I went to a little liberal arts school east of, of Syracuse called Hamilton College and had just the most fantastic four years of education and more sports there. I'm a bit of a dinosaur, they called me, because I was like one of the last ever to do three sports for them. Played volleyball, uh, dope for the swim team, and played softball. And just made tons of lifelong friends through that. I mean, I just, I owe so much to sport, even though I was so academically oriented and committed and a bit of a perfectionist. Really, my lifelong friendships came more from the fields and the courts than, than the classrooms necessarily. So very thankful that I was able to do three sports all through college. Really came out of it knowing what I'd known pretty much since like kindergarten, first grade, which is that I love teaching. I used to come home from school and my mom said I would go right down to my play chalkboard and set up all my dolls and stuffed animals and just reteach them what I had learned in school. And not long into it, I would mostly teach them the math I had learned in school. So it seemed I, I had a connection there with the subject of math. I had a wonderful experience majoring in math at Hamilton, had some of just the best professors. Really came out of Hamilton thinking I wanted to go back to Hamilton to teach. At that point, I, I kind of searched out a whole bunch of Ph.D. programs because that was a requirement for professors there. And I went off from home to UMass uh, Amherst for a year. I was a Ph.D. candidate there in pure math and thought I would do that and then return to Hamilton a mere seven years later after getting a Ph.D. to teach. But um, you know, I ran into a few struggles there in terms of being maybe a little homesick, and it was also the first year in a really long time that I didn't have athletics as part of my daily schedule other than, you know, just personal fitness and, and running and, and trying to keep in shape. I didn't have the connection of a team or goals related to being in season or, or whatever. And I really felt like my life was a little too one tracked because everyone in the math program there was really, really math oriented to the point where they really didn't have a lot of other hobbies or interests. It just wasn't a great fit for me. I mean, I, I did fine. I completed all my classes, but I really just felt that I wasn't like my usual happy self. And my mom gave me a great piece of advice. She was like, if you're a little miserable, why don't you make a change? And I was like, yeah, why don't I make a change? <laughs> so um, I realized that the best part of my days at UMass were being a TA, teaching undergrad math classes for them. I helped with calculus, but I also taught like a very, very basic math 100 class actually to a lot of adult learners that were going back to college. And it was super simple stuff. And it just dawned on me, like, I don't have to be teaching 800 level college math classes to be happy. Like I can be happy teaching anyone, any level of math. That's what makes my day. So I decided that probably the best fit for me would be a high school teacher so that I could be happy teaching, but also that career would give me an opportunity to get back into sports through coaching. So after my one year at UMass, I transferred all my credits to Syracuse, which was also, you know, a nice homecoming. And I ended up getting my master's in math education at Syracuse University. And even while I pursued my master's, I was back on the fields and on the courts for my alma mater coaching at Liverpool. So bring that all to a wrap and having a teaching degree and 15 years later, I'm still teaching high school math and this is my 17th year of coaching high school sports. So 
I feel a little old saying that, but I really <laughs> kind of brought it back to what made me super happy from grades, you know, like seven through college. And that's just having a life full of academic and athletic challenges, achievements, and that whole lifestyle just really suits me. So I'm living the good life now. <laughs> Here, oh, sorry. I should have mentioned I got married. <laughs> Met a great guy. You were uh, around for those years. And for three years, uh, we kind of drove up and down the throughway. But I guess the only thing that could take me away from Liverpool and my alma mater was a lifetime of happiness with the right person. So I did make a change after five years at Liverpool. I moved to Fairport, New York. And so I'm now teaching and coaching at Fairport High School. This is my 10th year here and ninth year married. So it's all fit for me. Like this is definitely from a young age, something that I knew was possible and more than possible, just the right fit. Wow. Yeah. You are living the good life and you have an impressive resume, things that you just went through and that little oral history you gave and also things that I've dug up that we're going to get through <laughs> throughout the course of our conversation today. <laughs> it's all good stuff. Don't worry. But I think one of the themes that I've picked up on through my research, through knowing you, and even early on, really early on in our conversation here, is how well-rounded of a person you are. Yeah, I think that's so important. I think it's just for anybody who has, I think just having a variety of things in your life so that if one thing's not going well, you can still have success in another thing. And I think also, I don't know, I have like a real type A perfectionist personality. And if I didn't have other, I mean, yes, it's all fun, but it's also commitment to be well-rounded. You're committed to various things. And I think if I didn't have responsibilities in multiple areas, I would just perseverate and maybe go a little overboard in one area. So I think being well-rounded is just hugely important. And I wish, I wish there were still more strong scholars doing multiple sports out there and other things. You know, I also grew up playing the piano, not like crazy, rigid, must practice, must attend every single lesson. But for 10 years, uh, you know, in my youth, uh, going in probably elementary right up till high school when I got real busy, I took piano lessons for a half an hour a week. It was just one more thing to just kind of round me out, I think, as, as a person and personality. I love your perspective on that because I think a lot of people would listen to what you just said or take a look at your resume and instantly be overwhelmed. But it seems like from your perspective, having different things and being able to do so many things throughout your lifetime really helped you with balance in your life. Oh, absolutely. I think sometimes people joke like, oh, well, being in a sport keeps you out of trouble, keeps you busy. I don't know that I ever would have been in trouble or bored or wasting my time after school, but I think I would have gone overboard with school, which some people may say I did. I mean, <laughs> I still, even as a teacher, people are like, wow, like you're really, really spending a long time grading these tests, but it's because I care and I want to do it right and I want to give the right feedback. And I think having other commitments besides, you know, that one that we all have to do is school, at least to a point. And I think I just would have been way high on the nerdometer <laughs> if, I, if I didn't also have athletics and music and family. Obviously, um, you know, we had a lot of family traditions and aunts, uncles, cousins on both sides and 
just other things that I also felt committed to that, yes, you can look at it and say I was well-rounded, but I, I needed that in order not to be a little too psycho in one or two areas. So when you started playing different sports, I mean, was it just kind of an instant love for volleyball, diving, softball, those type of things? Or did you try out other sports and just decide that you didn't like them? How did that come about? My earliest memory of doing stuff was like at, at school, at the young elementary years, they had like after school programs to try different things. And like I was in some dance classes with my little friends. And I remember finding out like during like we one day, it, it was like baton and tap and jazz and all this standard little girl stuff. And they had advertised for like acrobatics was a class like to learn a little tumbling type stuff. And so my parents had me do that and I loved that. So my first, like other than T-ball, which I do also remember my brother, two years older was into little league. And as soon as I was old enough, I was out there playing T-ball also. And definitely instantly kind of found a home in the baseball, you know, eventually softball arena. Um, but the other major sport I ended up doing for my young years was gymnastics. So that acrobatics class was like such a hit with me that my parents got me hooked up and enrolled at a place called Which Way Is Up in Liverpool. And they were there on Taft Road and then they, they switched over to Hopkins Road. And like 10, 12 years of my life was going to that. And I just was in love with the sport of gymnastics. Started small, like one day a week, and then you move up through the levels and it's two days a week and three days a week. And eventually I got through what are called the compulsory rounds or years or levels of of that and became what's called an optional. Um, And that's where you really start traveling more to meets and the the commitment is more, but you get to, you know, there's more freedom. You're, you get your own floor music and you're designing your own routines for all your events. And I was just really, really into that and kind of was peaking at that, but almost at the wrong time because I was just about to start high school also. At a point, it became like I, I couldn't do everything. I had Little League Baseball that I was growing up playing from T-ball on, and in middle school had tried volleyball just sort of on a whim. I, I think one of my friends was like, I'm going to try out for volleyball. You know, you want to try it? You were good at it in, in gym class. And so I was like, oh, yeah. So I asked my mom, can I do it? And she said, yeah, go ahead. And, you know, so I just started playing it, and they just cultivated the skill in me pretty quickly. And I think I didn't even play that until eighth grade. And then all of a sudden in ninth grade, I'm on varsity, (laughs) you know, like it just came quickly and easily to me. And I was able to develop really well. And I think, you know, with an older brother who was playing football for the high school and knowing what high school sports and that commitment would be, everyone started to kind of prepare me. Like you might not be able to, (laughs) do gymnastics four to five days a week for, you know, private, that was club gymnastics. And then also you're now playing volleyball and and I wanted to continue with baseball. I mean, that's a whole story in itself. I grew up playing boys baseball my whole youth through little league and right up, you know, through middle school. And, and a lot of people were saying you have to switch to softball. And I had already sort of dug my heels in and said, no way, like baseball is the sport I love. So I was planning on trying out for baseball, boys baseball at Liverpool when that season would roll around my freshman year. And so everyone was going, boy, you're going to have gymnastics or um, volleyball all winter and you're going to try for baseball in the spring. 
you might not be able to hang on to gymnastics. I, you know, I was going three or four nights on weeknights and then Saturdays was like 8 a.m. till 2 p.m. with a, a little lunch break in there. And so what was really great was I was struggling because I'd never quit anything. And I didn't want to quit gymnastics and feel like I was quitting something. Quitting, I guess, has such a negative connotation mm-hmm. that it wasn't. You know, I wasn't thinking of it as a trade, like, well, I'm going to ease up or let go of this, but pick up, you know, other great things. I was really struggling, not sleeping, crying about it. And so I remember my mom, you know, we went in and met with the head of the gym and they really kind of just made a deal because my mom said, well, listen, I I can't pay monthly gymnastics if she's not even going to be coming because she's going to be caught up in the high school sports. But she's not really ready to let it go. It's upsetting her. And this was, you know, late summer going into my freshman year. And the guy said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to break your monthly payments down to per class. And when you come in for a workout, you know, that'll go on the bill. And if you don't come, it won't because you've been dedicated to us for 10, 12 years and really since like first or second grade. And he said, so we'll ease you out of it. You, you'll just slowly let yourself out when you're ready to. And And that was really the best thing for me. That was all I needed. It kind of lifted the burden of feeling like I was quitting. I wasn't quitting. I was just reducing. And I did continue to go for a while. And and it was gradual and sort of natural that over time, you know, kind of by my sophomore year of high school, I wasn't really going to gymnastics anymore. I was fully enveloped in the high school sports scene. But, you know, it was really great that that my mom did that that the guy kind of was willing to work with us on that. And then someone said to me, well, if you're going to play a winter and a spring sport, why don't you try a fall sport? You could probably dive because you can do all the flips on the ground. You just Now you get a springboard to go off of. So I was like, oh, I guess so. So I like showed up at tryouts for diving with zero diving experience. Sure enough, by the end of the first week, I was doing flips and spins off the diving board because it was a, a very – Although there are some real obvious and key differences, it was a very natural step from gymnastics to diving. So that's, I kind of fell into diving at the last minute and liked it and liked my teammate and the swim team culture. And so that was kind of how the, the three sport athlete was born, I guess you could say. <laughs> and in uh, my freshman year, I dove in the fall and I played volleyball in the winter and got pulled up to varsity at the very beginning of the season. And that was my you know, all of a sudden, here I am, freshman year, and I played two varsity sports already. And then spring rolled around, and I tried out for boys baseball and made it. So that was freshman team, but pretty exciting freshman year, I guess. And so throughout that, I sort of eased up on the gymnastics and kind of really went all in on the school sports. Very cool. And so obviously, that story ends with a happy ending, and you're successful. How do you think that experience shaped future outcomes as far as obviously you continue to play three sports in high school and in college and in college I think I read that you were president of the student athlete advisory committee carrying high grades throughout the entire thing and now in your professional career you're teaching you're coaching at one point you were taking care of your mom you're indulging in your hubby's activities and the things that he likes to do I have to imagine at some point there was probably that feeling of being overwhelmed again. Maybe not to the same extent that you felt when gymnastics was ending and you had to make that really tough decision, but how much of an impact did that make on just some of these future things that inevitably happened throughout your life? I think just 
taking all that on and it just being a natural part of my life that even when probably my most overwhelmed would be in the last few years of my mom's life, having to be a full-time caregiver at the same time as maintaining my paying job (laughs) of teaching high school math. And I was trying to still be involved with the coaching. And I think all those years of just juggling so much, but doing it naturally because I loved it all was really just practice at how to handle being overwhelmed. And, and certainly there are times when I'm overwhelmed. It's, it's not like just because I've been living this lifestyle forever. It's just easy. You know, Nick can certainly attest to the fact that I, I get overwhelmed and I'll, you know, when it happens, I don't sleep enough because I'm trying to fit too much in and, and then I'm irritable and cry easily and have a breakdown here or there. But at the end of the day, I look at everything that's, that was going on and I think, okay, well, I love teaching. Like, yes, it's so much work and I'm up late and I'm prepping and I'm grading, but man, my days are fun. Like I go and it's all, all that prep is over in a flash. Like my, from seven to three goes by so fast because I'm interacting with my fun colleagues and my great students and I wouldn't give that up for the world. And then, you know, I'm frockling down after school, trying to get as much work done and help kids who need extra help and watching the clock because I got to catch a bus to a volleyball game or a softball game or meet my team for practice. And it's super stressful and I feel overwhelmed, but then I get there and it starts and it's like everything goes quiet again. And it's now it's just focused on the fact that I'm there and we have an agenda and we have fun doing it. And I, I end up in a good mood from it and I come out of that and I'm like, well, that just took three hours of my day, but I wouldn't give that up for the world. That was a great three hours, you know, and then come home and you're trying to organize dinner and maybe my mom's home health aid didn't show up and I'm getting her dinner ready or helping her because she was blind and running her around trying to make sure she's happy because she sure made sure I was happy for 30 years. So my turn now to get her to the gym because that was what made her happy you know, all these things and you get done with that and you think, well, I'm not, not going to do that. She's my mom. And she did that for me. She ran me around and was on fumes of no sleep and made sure I still got to do what I wanted to do. So I'm going to make sure she still has all her helpful gadgets that we can get her and get her the exercise she wants and take her to see the friends in Syracuse when she wants to. So I go, well, I'm not, I can't give that up. I need to do that. And so you just kind of look at everything and instead of being overwhelmed, although there are moments of being overwhelmed, you end up looking at it all and going, I'm pretty lucky. I got all this, you know, so I'm not going to say I'm overwhelmed by it. I'm actually really happy doing all of it. I just wish there was more like 36 hours in a day. (laughs) (laughs) So that's kind of my perspective on it. It's like, yes, I get overwhelmed and and certainly definitely did during the most challenging times. Even, Even in college, I remember my senior year, I was captain of all three sports and knew that going in. I had already been captain of volleyball my junior year as well. And I've been named captain for softball and for diving and swimming and diving. And I knew that going in and the fall was really busy. That was when I was taking my senior project class for math. And I was looking at grad schools and trying to visit them while in a sport, while taking classes, make a decision, take the, what, what were they called? The GREs. I mean, which were essentially like SATs for going to graduate school. And I remember my friends just saying, "Uh uh-oh, she's stressed again. She's got the blotches. Like my neck would break out in like a rash almost when I would get really 
anxious and worked up and trying to fit all of it in. But at the same time, I think back to my senior year, especially my fall volleyball season, and it was the absolute best one, most fun, most rewarding. So it's like everything has two sides. Like in the moment, it can be tough, but, and I can't even say it took me years to reflect and go, yeah, but that was great. Like in the moment, I knew it was great. It was amazing. It was awesome. And as stressful as at least the first half of senior year was while I was making all those decisions about what to do after college and after sports, even though it was so stressful, I enjoyed it so much those months and then continued to enjoy the rest of my senior year and, and get through it. So I just always try and think of the other side when I'm flipping out a little and going, how can I get all this done? You know, my husband has been really good in the adult years at sort of calling me and saying like, you can draw the line. You can stop and sleep and it'll still be there tomorrow. And if you tell the kids their quiz is coming back one day later than you thought, it will be okay. They will say it's okay. <laughs> you know, so he's a good like calming influence on me. And when I'm going, no, I'm just going to stay up till two or three and get them done. He's like, no, you're not because they will be there tomorrow. <laughs> It'll all be there tomorrow. And no one is being let down except you with your weird thought that you have to finish everything. <laughs> when you want to finish it so uh, yeah it can be a lot but it's also also rewarding I wouldn't trade it for anything and Nick is definitely a wise person because speaking from experience if you were a day late giving me a quiz back I wouldn't have cared at all because my <laughs> grades weren't great so <laughs> <laughs> I always say that about a couple of times yeah they don't even ask me how they did why am I hurrying so much? <laughs> you know it's the classes that come in like what I get what I get I feel so guilty if I don't have them done but some classes, it's like they take it, and five minutes later, it's like it never happened, and they don't ask. And I, I, you know, I have to. Sometimes I need that perspective of they have busy lives too. Your class is one period out of nine that they're taking, and then they have extracurriculars and families and jobs and college applications. And so they, well, five minutes after their quiz, they might say, "When are you going to grade it? I want to know how I did." They also get caught up in the rest of their well-rounded lives. And in the end, it's, you know, it's not a, a crisis. So, like I said, I wouldn't trade anything. And I just, I try to keep the balance. And sometimes I leave a, need a little nudge from the husband to maintain the right balance. <laughs> and my mom, too. She was really good about that. She was like, you're going crazy. Like, just don't be such a perfectionist and you'll be a little happier. <laughs> she used to call me school Corey and summer Corey because... I definitely have a more relaxed vibe over the summer <laughs> and when I'm working my full-time school job, you know, from September to June, it can be a little tense once in a while, but, but like I said, I can't imagine another career that would be as not just rewarding. It's just, it's not boring. I look forward to every day. It's, it's fun for me. So the work leads to something positive, which is fun and fulfillment. That's really great perspective. And I've got a couple questions here that I think are going to really make you think hard. Uh, I won't give them to you back to back, but I'm going to give you the first one here and then we'll talk about the second one later. The first question is a little bit like chicken and the egg. What do you think helped you more growing up and even now in your adult life, sports or academics? Like which one helped prepare you more for life after well, life after sports happened, you're obviously still in a classroom, but not in the same sense that you are when you're learning. It's so funny because I literally have zero memories of one without the other. 
I mean, they've just always been together. I don't remember a time of being in school when I wasn't also having sport as part of my life and certainly was never just sports oriented. It's, it's hard to answer. I mean, I think they go hand in hand. Sure. But I think in terms of life skill, because not everyone is a high achiever in sport and not everyone is a high achiever school-wise either, but I do think sports offers so much in terms of discipline, you know, and I think I couldn't have done everything I did without so much self-discipline. And it's not that you don't learn that in the classroom, but I almost feel like maybe it's just behind the scenes in the classroom or maybe because I was disciplined, I didn't even realize it. I don't know. I just think that whether it's time management, commitment, accountability, working with others, I just so many life lessons in sport that I could see that you could be more isolated in an academic experience and maybe not. The accountability, I think, academically is just to yourself and how you're going to perform. But I think being on a team in a sport, there's just all sorts of other discipline that and accountability that kind of comes into into the picture there. So I don't want to totally say sports because the math teacher in me is like, no, my students <laughs> need to have all this accountability, and I certainly did. I don't know. I think maybe the academic end, there was just never an option not to be disciplined and accountable there either. It was you come home, you do your homework, you show your parents what your homework was, and they look it over to make sure. And I think that's where my teaching you know, when I went past the dolls and the stuffed animals, it was because my mom would say, show me what you learned, teach it to me, and then I'll check your work for careless errors. And that was like the perfect system for us. Like, because I loved teaching her what I did. I loved that part. And then she would catch any small mistakes and it allowed me to have perfect work. So it was a real good partnership. One my brother did too, but he kind of became more independent sooner than me because he didn't love teaching. So he got more annoyed showing her what he had learned just so that she could check it over. He was like, no, I'm confident in it. I'm good. And he, he had a right to be confident. He graduated second out of like 680 people. But he wasn't as into the teaching, whereas when she would say, all right, show me what you learned in calc today, you know, my senior year. I was still teaching my mom what we learned in calculus. She had taken it a long time ago, but um, I would teach her and then she would check my homework problems and say, you know, I think you got them all or I got a different answer for this one. And and we would look at it and sometimes she was wrong and sometimes I was wrong. So I don't know, I guess it, it, it all was just such a part of my life. I don't know if I can separate the chicken and the egg there and say one came first. Very cool. Well, I think you did answer the question very nicely. So thank you for that. And I think the second question you'll, you'll see in a, a few minutes here will be a little easier, even though it's still a thinking question. But in relation to that, you mentioned just teaching and how important it is to your life. And you talked about earlier how you would go down and be a math teacher of all things, which you ended up being in real life as an adult, where did the love of math come? I'm not sure. I think um, a little of it is even a little competitive because we had, like when you're real young and you're just learning your math facts, there's flashcards. And I was a competitive person, whether it was sports or 
something like timing, you know, we get timed on our, our flashcards. I would try and do more than my brother. We would give ourselves a certain amount of time and see who could whip through the most correct flashcards. Or I would go till I got one wrong and see how many you could do in a row. And I think about that and I'm a teacher. I mean, I remember almost all of my teachers' names, but I had a teacher in fifth grade and we played around the world and the prizes were Tootsie Rolls. And I also really love candy. So <laughs> I was really determined to know my flashcards the best so that I could win the most Tootsie Rolls. Every person you played in around the world, if you won, you got a, a, a mini Tootsie Roll. And then if you were the one who got the most wins in the whole class, you got a large Tootsie Roll, like Halloween trick-or-treating style Tootsie Roll <laughs> at the end. And I don't know if that motivated me or if that was just something that brought out my own intrinsic motivation. But that was when I, like, really by fifth grade, I was like, real competitive with math. Like I wanted to be the best with my math facts. And it's so funny because as I got older, it became less competitive and more cooperative. And, you know, in high school, I was, our phone was ringing and my friends were asking me homework questions and how did you do number three? And did you get, you know, it was just, I was always liked explaining stuff, I guess, because I understood it. It just was rewarding to explain it and help others understand it. And, and so from, from high school on, really, I was teaching and helping teach math stuff. And I helped with other things, too, but I just definitely connected more with the math. So it was pretty, pretty young. <laughs> Those flashcards, we still have them, by the way. I use them when my nieces and nephews visit, and we kind of play with them and get them going in the right direction. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, candy is definitely a great motivator. So I don't fault you for wanting all those Tootsie Rolls when you were younger. <laughs> I know, I know. I like that is just such a vivid memory of elementary school math for me was fifth grade Mr. Wagner's class with the Tootsie Rolls. That's amazing. And I can actually remember now that you say that, I'm pretty sure you used to give out Smarties in our class, didn't you? I did, yes, because you are what you eat. I used to try and make <laughs> stupid corny teacher jokes and give out Smarties for like regents exams and midterms and big tests. Because <laughs> it just, you know. It's also like I remember the teacher who did that for me. And so if there's a small connection you can make and I do that now, I'll ask them, what do you want if you win? If we have a competition in class and I'll say bonus point or candy and like, oh, 99% of the time they want that candy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Especially because you probably can't get it as much in lunchtime and things like that. At least when I was going through school and I was getting all those cinnamon buns and, and everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different world. Yeah, exactly. 30 second break to talk about my sponsor Sweat with Stott. What a great sponsor she is. She's been with Pod since day one and we love having her support. Sweat with Stott offers a number of different options to get you on a path to improve your fitness future. Everything from fitness, nutrition, and simple healthy habits. So what are you waiting for? Head over to sweatwithstods.com right now, and when you buy a program, enter the code DYNAMIC at checkout to receive a discount for being a loyal podcast listener. Now back to the show. I want to transition us to the learning and development portion of our conversation. I have a few points that I want to get through, and I have a feeling that you're going to have some really great things to say about it. So I want to make sure that we hit on all these things before we end our talk. I want to start with a little bit of fun here. And you are a fellow Yankee fan. There's a lot you can learn from sports, as we've already 
kind of outlined and talked about, but I saw, I think it was some type of interview that you gave when you were at Hamilton and you talked about how Don Mattingly was one of your favorite players growing up. And then obviously I knew coming through school when Derek Jeter was playing that he was one of your favorite players. Both of them are obviously great players, but more importantly, they're connected because they were leaders of the Yankees. And both of them were actually named captain of the Yankees, which is an excellent honor to have. Did you ever take anything that you learned from Donnie or from Jeet or even whoever maybe your favorite player is now on the team? Have you ever taken anything that you've learned from them, either the things that they display on the field or things that you read from them and translated them into the classroom or to the coaching field? Yeah, I think definitely. I, I know that growing up watching the Yankees, Don Mattingly was their first baseman during my <clears throat> younger years. And uh, was captain and everyone just called him the captain and I think that was my first experience with what that word could mean and and sort of the reverence behind it I don't know who showed me this we used to get this Yankees magazine it was like one of our Christmas gifts that was a subscription to that and there was a big spread when I was in high school and it was a picture of Mattingly and Jeter jogging out from like the outfield towards the infield, all by themselves uh, at Yankee Stadium. The article was all about what Mattingly was imparting to Jeter and how this kid was going to be someone to watch because he was hanging with Mattingly. He wasn't hanging always just with the other rookies, but he was like, he wanted to learn from the captain. And the article included things, you know, about Mattingly's uh, mentality of, I always want to be the first one to the field and I want to be the last one to leave. And, you know, as good of a hitter as he was and for how many years he did it, he still would hit 200 balls off the tee or something like that in front of a mirror every day before the game started to just work his mechanics, make it muscle memory. And that sort of just grit and hard work. And you could tell that Jeter was going to take that mentality and that responsibility on, himself and really kind of revered it and Mattingly and wanted to, to sort of pay it forward in his years. And I remember in volleyball, my junior year was going to be the first year that I was running what was called a 5-1 offense. So I was going to be the only setter. We had just graduated. My sophomore year, there was a senior setter who was just, you know, a great leader, a great player. Um, I kind of revered her and she was now gone. And it was like, setting in that even though I'd been on the team since I was a freshman and had started as a sophomore, I was, you know, really her partner in my sophomore year. I wasn't on my own doing it yet. And then my junior year was going to be it. I was the quarterback out there. A couple of the big hitters we had and were like these were division one level girls. They were, you know, real sad that really accomplished Sutter had just graduated and and they had a you know, transition to, to me running the offense and it would be a little different and new. And I just remember saying to one of them, well, why don't we just either meet before practice or stay after and just do a bunch together? Because all of our big hitting plays, it's all timing and it has to just be unspoken timing between the setter and the hitter. And I just remember we did that for like the first month of our season. We would stay after practice, you know, half hour, an hour, and our coach let us and we just get the ball cart. I would set ball after ball and they would hit and hit and hit. And we'd go on the other side and pick up all like 60 balls and just do it over and over again. 
And I remember thinking, like, yeah, because that's what Mattingly and Jeter are going to do. Like, that was right when <laughs> that all happened. I was like, well, they stay late. They come early. They watch film. I remember, you know, all our games were videotaped, and I would go to Coach Darley's office and, and be like, can I watch the tape? Can I take it home? Or, you know, like, sometimes I would beg out of gym class, do I have to play floor hockey today? Can I just take our tape from the Ballsville match and take notes on it and stuff? And she would set me up with a TV and the tape and a notepad and – to me, Mattingly and Jeter, it was just kind of a keep your head down, nose to the grindstone, blue collar, hard work, no flashiness. You know, the media kind of made Jeter flashy, but I don't think he was. I just remember when I offered to stay late and stay late a few times, I was just thinking, like, that was the same year that article came out. And I was like, yeah, like my Yankees, <laughs> they do this, you know. Um, so I definitely took a piece of that with me. And and then the other thing I take away from Jeter and his 20 years of being in the spotlight in New York, but never getting in trouble or saying the wrong thing publicly, just doing the right thing seemed important to him. And so I feel like maybe not as a player, as a player, I was so just caught up in playing. I think I just had good sportsmanship because I had good coaches and good teammates, but as a coach, I always have thought about that. Like, man, when that microphone was in, in his face, he always said the right thing, always took responsibility himself, never pushed it on a teammate, never made excuses. And so as a coach, I really think about that a lot and try to make sure I'm saying the right things and just speaking responsibly, whether it's to parents or to when, when I was coaching varsity, I had to do a lot with the, the local newspaper here, the Democrat Chronicle it's called. And even more so to my players, like, you know, just making sure I'm saying things the right way and taking responsibility where, when it's on me, you know, take some of it and letting them feel which part of the responsibility is theirs. And so I just think the way he carried himself, and I think Mattingly was much the same, but I was maybe a little too young to appreciate that part of him. But I was definitely becoming an adult and an adult watching all the, the, the coverage that Jeter got and seeing how he carried himself. So I think that's always been important to me too, you know, right down to a game we had yesterday and the coach on the opposing team was saying some very unsportsmanlike things. And, and the head coach I work with, you know, he wanted to fire back and, and I wanted to say something to the umpires also, but at the same time, we were like, no, we are going to carry ourselves the right way, our way. And I just think that's just one of the important things I took from, from those Yankees. Yankee idols of mine. <laughs> That's very cool. And I think it obviously speaks a lot to your character to be able to not only emulate those characteristics in some ways, but when you are tested, like you are what you mentioned yesterday, playing that game and someone's coming at you and still being able to be true to yourself and be who you are. I think that's a really impressive attribute to have and obviously something that you've honed over the years, I'm sure, and gotten better at with in certain situations, but very, very cool perspective and very interesting insight overall. I have the second thinker question for you coming up here. And I thought a lot about how I wanted to frame this question. So I hope I get it right. Personally, the style of math that I was learning when I was in the classroom with you was not interesting to me. It had nothing to do with you. It just was not interesting to me. Plus, I just wasn't very good at it. Not only was it not interesting, I wasn't good at it, but I loved going to your classroom. 
what is it like for you as a teacher to try and connect with every student, whether they're interested or not, day after day, year after year? Because I imagine that it's, you know, obviously being in front of the classroom and being up there in front of everybody, you can't really turn turn a switch off, right? You can't just go through the motions. I feel like if you did, you probably wouldn't be teaching anymore. So (laughs) uh, tell us a little bit about that. Challenge is the only word I could come up with. I got to imagine it's got to be somewhat of a challenge to be able to connect every day. It can be, but there are just little things. I mean, first of all, I'm a people person. I don't think you can or you shouldn't be a teacher if you're not a people person. I just also was saying that yesterday about our bus driver to that game. <laughs> he doesn't seem like he actually likes kids. So <laughs> it was like the third time we've had him. And I thought, boy, you know, these girls are saying hello and thank you for the ride as they get on and off. And he's just, you know, kind of a grumpy pants. And, and for me, it could be more opposite. Like I love interacting with people. I talk too much, but, you know, I picked the perfect career for that. So I have a captive audience all day, every day, and I like to get to know them. And I guess I had such a positive high school and college experience, like with not just the academic material, like I just liked the people I was with every day. I enjoyed my classmates. I enjoyed my teachers. I enjoyed my teammates through sport. And I think that just liking the kids in general is such a, a big step towards the connection. If I only liked math and I only liked just saying math out loud and teaching it to anybody, it just wouldn't be as fulfilling as it is the fact that I like students. I like kids. I especially like high school kids because they're going through what I went through on a whole different level nowadays, with technology and everything, but it's still there are some staples to a high school experience. And I think part of what makes me want to connect with them so much is I want to stay connected with that part of myself, like that part of my past. I, the moment I graduated college, I said, if I could relive four years over and over and over again, it would be those four years. And I said that, you know, (laughs) into my thirties and said, no offense to Nick, but if I repeat (laughs) four years, it would be my college years. And So just that connection to that time in my life. I mean, I teach a lot of juniors and seniors. Um, Actually, I have a lot of sophomores this year, too. So, But they're all sort of looking that way, and they're going through what I went through in high school. And so I want to connect with them because it's nostalgic for me. And there are still things I can say, oh, yeah, I remember going through that, you know, and right down to, like, they just got through their prom, and they're looking at senior ball coming up next Saturday and just – I get to experience that every single year for my whole life. Like all those, those ups and even some of the downs of, you know, the stress of college applications, I get to just relive that through my students. So I want to know them and I I want to um, know what they're going through now. And I want to know how it's different also, because that makes me a more understanding and empathetic teacher, obviously. So I try and connect with them through a few different ways. It is challenging. The bigger the class sizes get, the more challenging it can be. Our class sizes were really extra large this year compared to past years. And one of the first things I said after a week into classes was, man, it's really hard for me to walk around checking homework, but I do not want to give that up because I'm not just checking homework. I am checking in with each kid. I'm at their desk. It might be for six seconds, 
to look at their paper, but it's also my chance to say, how are you? Is your cold any better? Are you feeling better? Or how was your orchestra concert last night? Or did you guys win for your away game at soccer yesterday? Like that is my walking around to check homework is so much more than just checking homework. And when I have 30 kids instead of 20 this year, it's, it's tough because it takes up 10 minutes out of my 40. That's a quarter of my class sometimes that has gone to that, but it is such a worthwhile 10 minutes that I refuse to give it up. So I find other spots where I can go quicker or explain something a little less and see how they do with it on the homework before I go into more detail, maybe the next day if I need to, but maybe I don't need to. I've just, I've tried to make other adjustments just so that I can still have that time of connecting with my students. Um, and then another thing I do that I learned from one of my best teachers, I had a calculus teacher who at the end of every quiz left the section for comments. And she was a Yankee fan. So there was another connection through my Yankees. But <laughs> I often, if I felt good on the quiz and it was sometime between, you know, March and June, my comment would often be about the Yankees, like great win last night or how could we lose to them? <laughs> and, uh, and other times it might be about the math. Like I thought number four was really hard. I don't remember doing one like that on the homework, you know, but it was my chance to communicate privately with her, whether it was to have fun or ask a math question or whatever. So I do a degree of that now with my students. I have them write me letters. I mean, you went through that probably too. I think I, I might have done it back Yep, I still have them. And so the letter writing is really great. Like it's our chance to connect. I can comment back. I learn so much about what's going on with them. And I've over the years, I've sort of honed it in. It's not always required. Some of them are required when I like feel like I really need to connect with kids who would choose not to do it if I made it optional. And then other times I make it optional. Like, Hey, if you want a, a bonus quiz grade in the grade book, you know, I'm not just throwing extra points, but I'll throw an extra five out of five in there. And that averages in with your other things. And a lot of them take me up on it and, and they write me great letters and they sometimes they're funny and they crack me up. And sometimes they're sad because they're telling me all this baggage they got going on outside of my room. And it just gives me so much, more empathy towards them and other times it's really great for them because they do a little self-reflecting so I do require that they when they write me the letter they have to write me a little bit about math like how has it been going since they last wrote me and then also they have to tell me something outside of my classroom that's going on with them whether it's job personal family sports extracurriculars whatever it might be but a lot of them take a lot of responsibility in those letters and they're like you know what I know exactly why I failed that last quiz is because I skipped two of the homeworks. And when I, I look back, like those were the problems I got wrong on the quiz. So it's good for them. It's good for me. And it just helps me know them so much better. And, and I take the time. Sometimes I, if it's, you know, crunch time at the end of a quarter or something, I don't write back, but I often write comments on them and, and give them back. And I scan all of them. So I have them forever because as a, as a numbers teacher, my favorite assignment I give is the writing piece where they just write to me and we connect in that way. So, so it's challenging, but you know, these little things I do help. And then once you have a connection, it's like you, I mean, not most kids don't love math. And if I can still get them wanting to come to my room or at least not dreading to come to my room, <laughs> then that's a win because then they learn that even though I don't love this, I can do it and I can get through it. And I just have to, you know, latch on to the people that'll help me, which in, in this case would be me. Like I will help them get through it, even if they don't love it. So it all goes 
goes hand in hand. Like if you skip making the connection, there's going to be so many more failures and kids who just turn off or skip class or whatever that might be. But when they feel actually bad for not doing their homework because they feel like they disappointed me, that's a win because if they're not, if they don't feel self accountable, at least they feel accountable to me because they, they have this connection with me. So, you know, to me, that's, that's one way to get to their end goal, whether it's to get through it or to get through it with a certain grade or to ACE it, it, it doesn't matter. It just an end helps get them to their goals. Yeah, that's really cool. And I love how you pointed out that you haven't given up, even though time constraints and there's always going to be things that you need to consider as far as materially that you're going to teach and how you're going to do it and what's most effective, but not giving up that time to check in with your students. I mean, I can say, Personally, from experience, I like I said, I still have some of those letters uh, that I that I wrote you and you wrote back, and definitely made an impact on me and made me you know like I never loved math, but I didn't not like going to your classroom. I didn't dread it, you know, like you said, yeah. and and uh, I definitely tried harder as a result of getting to know you better and everything. And I wish that more of my teachers would have taken that approach because I probably would have enjoyed my you know, school experience a little bit more if I had more teachers that I felt like actually cared about me as a person rather than just what I got in their grade wise in their classroom. But uh, it is, uh, it's great to hear that you still continue to do that. Cause uh, if it pays off from somebody that you had in class, what, 10, 11, how long am I out of school? 12 years ago now? Uh, maybe longer than that. Oh no, I guess that's about right. Cause I've been in Fairport for 10 years. So yeah, probably about 12 years, 10, 12 years ago. Yeah. So if it, if it works for me, it's got to still be working for the kids that you currently have. Yeah. You know, and I tell them all the time, like, because of me, you will remember this weird formula for the rest of your life. maybe, <laughs> and, and you'll think of me when you know it. And, and that came true. I mean, one of my Liverpool students was my wedding videographer and he sent a thank you note for letting us, letting him do our wedding. And I was like, I don't know why he's thanking us. We owe him so many things. But <laughs> he wrote this note and on the back he said, even though I'm pretty sure I actually failed your class, I do just want to let you know I remember this. And he put the quadratic formula as his signature on that note. And wow. I just cracked up thinking like that's hilarious because he did not pass my class, but he, he did correctly remember that formula. And that was many years after he had me as well and he probably because I had a connection with him too it's just you know he asked if he could come perform that formula for all my other classes that year because he did the song to it and any connection is good and it's not just for the kids if I was teaching math every day to a bunch of robots filling those desks and there was no <laughs> interaction between us just students dutifully taking notes and doing everything I asked and getting 100s on everything that would be just insanely boring like I like the banter I like learning things about their lives and I like those moments before and after the bell when when we talk Yankees or someone says did you run this morning because somehow even though I don't remember telling them about it apparently I've talked about going for morning runs at 5 a.m like that is the part of my day that makes it fun and different every day and enjoyable as a teacher Absolutely. That's definitely where you can find the fulfillment and seems like you've done so. So that's really cool. Really awesome to hear. I've got a couple more things to get through with you before we let you go here. The first thing is just related to, obviously you've got a lot going on as we've talked about and you like to be 
well-rounded and you like to be active and doing things. I'm sure there's also a part of you that still likes to continue to learn much as you did when you were younger. And in these ways, it's just more personal development or even maybe some professional development to help keep you sharp teaching and coaching. Can you tell us about some of the ways that you learn these days, whether it's through books or podcasts or really any way that you get influence? Yeah, sure. One of the things I just started doing this school year, I mean, it's definitely professional related. There's a program in New York called the Master Teacher Program, and it's really hard to get into. And a couple of um, my close friends and colleagues in the math department at Fairport uh, had been doing it. And um, it is a big time commitment outside of, of your regular school day. It's nothing through my school district. It's totally extra. And it's it's run out of SUNY Geneseo for my region. It's, it exists throughout the whole state. But, you know, after my mom passed away and I had a little more time available outside of school, some of my friends said, you should definitely apply to be a master teacher. You, you could totally do this. And and I was a little hesitant at first, and it had been a long time since I'd been more of a student, because that's essentially what this program is. It's, you know, we become the students, we attend seminars, we take workshops, there's many courses that we take throughout the year. So all last year, I went through the application process, which is pretty extensive for that, doing resumes and interviews, and you had to, to teach a lesson to a bunch a college panel, and I had to take a math test, a, a four-hour math exam that covered, could cover any math from, like, fifth grade through college math. I just got so into it doing that because it, it's been, you know, sometimes we get so caught up in prepping lessons and grading that we forget how fun doing math is for us, like, personally fulfilling-wise. So I remember practicing for that test and loving it, taking all these practice tests and, and going through the test experience. and. And I got into the program, which, you know, I just found out in October I got into and started it. And already I've done like 72 hours of classes and seminars and workshops outside of my regular, regular school life. So, so that's one thing I'm doing for professional development. And the workshops are varied. The mini courses are varied. Sometimes they're streamed online and, and we meet as groups to, to watch these college professors, you know, teach us stuff. So that's been really fulfilling. And that really, even though it's a four-year program, once you quote-unquote graduate from it, you're always welcome to attend any of it at any time in your career. So really, it's going to be like a lifelong, career-long thing that I can be a part of. Um, so it's been kind of fun just getting back to being a learner again. And it's been, it's really a STEM thing. So it's not just been math, but also science, technology. It's been really a good experience. So that's one thing I've been doing sort of on my own. And otherwise, I feel like the older I get, the more I, I can't bury my head in the sand. Just I have to keep aware of current events and just learn more about what's happening, whether it's the economy or climate change or <laughs> any of these things. I mean, the political arena is something I try to stay out of, but I still find now that I'm, I would never in a million years in my 20s thought that I would be reading like multiple news outlets each day just to like see what's going on in the world. Like I could have, could have told you what was happening in China or the Middle East. I mean, unless I was doing a school project on it, I didn't know what was happening because my world was just my classes and my sports and my family. But now I find that like, I, if I don't get to it in the morning, it's like during my lunch period, I am like trying to read and see what's going on out there. 
So I'm, I maybe not as into full-on novels and books, but anything I can consume quickly, whether it's a CNN article or an ABC News or a, 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 even a Fox News, whatever it is, I just want to see what's happening out there. For more inspiration and relaxation, <laughs> you'll laugh because all of like anything for inspiration, it's been mostly sport. Like I've read the Derek Jeter books. I've read there was an Andre Agassi book called Open that I'm like partway through um, on my Kindle and have downloaded the Dale Earnhardt and Jeff Gordon books just because they were champions in their fields and I find their personalities really interesting and and I just feel like it'd be cool to hear their backstory and so these are all things I'll be reading and I remember buying a book for my brother about a football player I think for the Denver Broncos that like broke his back on a tackle and I was actually at the game because it was at the Buffalo, um, they were playing Buffalo Bills. And I don't go to many games, but I happened to be there then. And I remember how silent the stadium got when he wasn't moving and seeing him taken out on a stretcher. And then some time went by and watching the news, I saw that like, not only is he walking and stuff, but I mean, he's he fully recovered and had this great story to tell. And I don't, rem- I don't even remember his name or the name of the book, but I got it for my brother and did read it myself at the time because I, I got it for Sean because he's a football guy, but also a doctor. And a big part of the story was about the treatment that at the time was controversial that he received in the ambulance. Like they injected something in IV wise and it like not froze, but it was very cold and it, it did something to stop the inflammation, but it was a controversial treatment at the time and ended up saving his life in terms of, of being able to regain the ability to walk, even though it took a couple of years for him to be able to, to walk again. But like that sort of story. And I guess it, for me, so much of it ties back to sport. I just look for those inspirational sports books, you know, to get into also. So that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, for relaxation, I read like ridiculous, like crime romance things. <laughs> <laughs> like detective stories, but there's a love angle to it. And you're still trying to figure out who did the murder. Like that's kind of what I take when I'm on a Mexico vacation at the pool or at the beach. But <laughs> sort of day to day and the grind of real life, just the quicker consumption things or the sports stories is what I stick with. <laughs> I love it. Murder and relaxing. Those are combined for you. Nothing like a good crime story to relax. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. So, and I definitely can relate. I I read so many of those books about famous athletes, famous businessmen, whatever it may be, uh, something along the same lines of what you do. So I can definitely relate to finding a lot of value in my own personal development in that way as well. But for Our final question here, I always love to give our guests an opportunity to highlight somebody in their life who really showcases a lot of the great attributes and qualities that we talk about when we talk about a leader. And we've obviously gone through a ton of those things today, just in the natural course of our conversation. It's been very organic and a lot of fun for me, but I want to give you an opportunity if there's one person, I know sometimes it's hard to narrow it down to one person, but one person that you want to give a shout out to that's a dynamic leader in your life. I knew you were going to ask that question because it was highlighted on your sheet. (laughs) And it is super hard to get it down to like one person. I mean, I'm just going to throw a few names out there, but maybe I'll try and just talk about one person. But I think my coaches, I didn't always know I would want to coach. I just 
always had coaches in my life. And I think having, you know, coach Darley and coach Vitaro and coach Quilty in high school, they were my leaders. Like they led me in the right direction. And I guess I could say teachers too. I mean, coaches and teachers, they, they led me to being them. <laughs> and there are so many of them that I try to emulate, whether it's on the field or in the classroom. Um, I had a college coach named coach Thompson that became family to me. He was actually didn't coach me directly. He was the head swim coach and I was a diver with my own diving coach, but he was a phenomenal leader. And I watched years of these athletes revere him to the point where last year, tons of alumni, he's still at Hamilton. He eventually was the athletic director and then moved, stepped down from that after a few years and moved into another role. I believe he's the director of health and wellness there now um, and isn't coaching the swim team, but they gave him a huge honor just I think about a year and a half ago, they made an award in his name at Hamilton and he's so deserving because he's that kind of leader. And I look at the the pillars of leadership and think, yes, that my, my coaches all fit that. And as a young player, I talked about that one volleyball player. I was never super close with her. I revered her, but I revered also how she led, not just how she played, but how she led our team and how everyone respected her from other teams, other coaches, our team, our coach, her name was Jill Finocchio and she's gone on to do great things and give Ted talks and all. Of, I mean, she has, she has battled a lot of obstacles and, and is just amazing. And I've already talked about Mattingly and Jeter and the types of leaders, how they inspired me to want to, to lead by example as they led by example. But I think for me, when it comes down to it, you know, reading those pillars of leadership, I don't think that the people who shade most would think of their role as a leader. Oh, I knew this would be difficult. So I will briefly say my brother was a leader without trying to be. And obviously my mother and this is not just because she's passed away. I will tell you that I've given speeches before where I've thanked my brother and my mother <laughs> and had similar difficulty even reading off of a piece of paper about it. In fact, at our alma mater, when I was uh, inducted there to the Hall of Fame, I had a very difficult time getting through that part of my speech. And, um, and she was right there. But, um, you know, my dad moved out when I was in fifth grade. And... We did not have money, and yet my mother made sure that my brother and I could be successful in whatever we wanted to do and that we could participate in whatever we wanted to do. And her upbringing was not one of uh, intense academics and sport. I mean, she did very well. She had a, an engineering scholarship to Ithaca, but... She didn't grow up playing all these sports, and I don't know that she loved it, but she was at every single thing we did, and she led our teeny tiny little family of three once my dad was not in the house, and she led it with courage, with drive and accountability by motivating us. She had integrity. She certainly had grit, and she was a great communicator because she juggled a lot, and she made sure that we were a family that knew what was going on with each other 100% of the time. 
And she never in a million years would have said that she was a leader. She would say, no, I didn't do sports. No, I, I, you know, she, she made so many sacrifices and led by example. I mean, she was so driven. She made her own, you know, business out of cleaning houses so that she could be at our stuff because she could set her schedule. If her, her joy in life would be to sleep in till nine or 10 and then go to work from 11 till five. But if we had a sporting event, she made sure she was at work and out by three so that she was at practice picking us up or at a game to cheer us on. And I think it was very courageous that she was running a house on her own. I mean, she had been with my dad since she was 17 years old. They were married when she was 19 and they had my brother when she was 21 or I guess 22 and uh, me when she was 25. I mean, she had that crutch of a partner for the important adult formative years. And then all of a sudden she didn't have it. And the courage it must have taken her to put one foot in front of the other and make sure that we had, you know, meals and love and support. And during all of that, she was still asking me to teach her my science and math and social studies and English lessons from the day so she could read my papers. And, and it's not that my dad was gone from our life. He also still would pick up a, our papers and edit them and, and help us. But she was in the daily grind and probably scared out of her mind doing it by herself with a low income. And, um, and you never would have known it. We did everything we ever wanted to. She was driven she worked and bought off. She saved money so that we could do camps. She taught us to save money so that we could babysit or do, you know, my brother mowed lawns and work for the rec center. And she taught us how to save so that we could do the extra things that we wanted to do. She made sure that every summer we had vacation days. We, we weren't like, we didn't do the traditional, like go away for a week, but she would take from her clients, she would take a day off from each of them. So it would be spread out throughout the summer. We'd have a day to go to Darien Lake as a family and a day to, you know, go to Song Mountain and a day to do whatever we wanted, a Yankees game, whatever it was. You know, we saved our money from bottles and cans so that we could have a dinner out once a month. That was like a big deal for us. And she was motivating. I don't know that she ever told us like you need to do well at school. I think we just always heard her say, if it's worth doing, then it's worth doing right. So if you're going to do something, do it right. And that's kind of the approach we took to school. Like if you're going to be there and you're going to do it, do it right. Learn something, show what you've learned, take pride in your work in terms of like <laughs> her house always had to be immaculate and picked up. And, and she would say, because it's pride, you have to have pride in your, what is yours? She goes, you would never turn in a paper that was lousy full of half sentences and poor grammar because you have pride in your work and I'm still looking at these pillars her grit <laughs> and determination I mean she ran herself into the ground which probably <laughs> led to some of her health issues in the long run but that that model to me is probably the greatest example of leadership that I had and it's the reason I was not afraid after college to live on my own because I watched her do it. I didn't like taking out the trash or killing spiders, but she had done it because she had to. She was the only one there to do it. She was the mom and the dad in our house. And so having my own first apartment, I wasn't scared. I was like, no, I can do this. I can do all of the parts of, of this. And then 
I think that's what made me ready to have a partner was that was the security of knowing I can do this on my own. I choose to be with this person because they make it all better. They make everything better. But that whole idea of self-sufficiency and independence and grit, courage, motivation, accountability, um, that definitely was instilled in me, you know, from, from age birth to, well, let's see, I'm 39 and she died about a year ago. So <laughs> we'll give her, we'll give her 38 years of credit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I had a feeling coming into the conversation that you might choose her and I, don't, I'm not going to even follow up on it. I think what you said was beautiful and you put it really well. So I appreciate uh, even as difficult as that was you sharing that with us because you did really highlight some amazing things. So thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. I'm always happy to, to talk about her. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, before we let you go, first thing is uh, if anyone really enjoyed this conversation and wants to learn more about teaching or as you hear the thunder possibly in the background there, <laughs> wants to uh, learn more about teaching or coaching or just follow up on this conversation because they enjoyed it. Is there any way in particular that maybe they can get in touch with you, maybe an email or something like that? Oh, absolutely. It's uh, my first name, K-O-R-E-Y dot my last name, Cianfraco, C-I-A-N-F-R-O-C-C-O at Gmail. Beautiful. And I'll put that in the show notes as we do with all of our guests. So that's super easy reference for everyone. And before I let you go, finally here, I just want to give you an opportunity if you want to leave us with any last words of wisdom or advice, or just tell us about anything exciting coming up in your life. I'm just so happy because I'm doing what I love. I think it's important for people not to get too caught up in status and things and money and uh, you just got to really find what makes your day go by with smiles and laughter and it, it shouldn't be easy like nothing should be easy but it should be enjoyable and something that you're passionate about I'll bring it back to my mom you know when I went through that period where I was just not super happy when I was in grad school and she said well boy, you're kind of miserable to talk to lately. <laughs> and, you know, we talked a lot. And I remember her saying, well, I guess we shouldn't talk every night because you're just kind of a downer these days. So maybe we should just talk a couple times a week or something while you're doing this because you're just, you're not sounding too happy. And I said, I kind of broke down and said, I'm not happy. I just don't like only doing one thing like this. And she said, well, if you're that unhappy, make a change. You're not quitting. You're making a change to be happy. And as soon as she put it that way, I realized it was okay to do something different or to have the courage to transition to something else or make a leap to something else. And it kind of brought me back to those gymnastics moments of it's okay to make a change and to move away from something and towards something else. And I think a lot of people, you know, I graduated at the top of my class in high school and also in college. I was in the top 10 on my graduating class at Hamilton. And I think everyone was kind of like, you're just going to be a teacher. And thank God I didn't listen to that tone, you know, because <laughs> I'm sure I would have been great at some desk job, but it's just not for me. And I followed my heart and what made me happy and what makes me happy still. And that's to teach and coach and have academics and athletics kind of rule my rule my roost. So 
I think my advice is to just keep looking. If you don't, if you're not lucky enough to know kind of what it is your whole life, like I have, just keep looking, keep trying new things. And, and when you find something that, that fits, like go ahead and follow your passion, even if it's not being whatever career others might envision for you. I think you just have to stay true to yourself and then you get to enjoy life, not just survive life. So that's, that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm living a good life and I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yes. I love that. I think that's going to be the title of the podcast, living the good life. So <laughs> <laughs> no one really thinks teacher bucks or coaching bucks when you say that. Yeah. <laughs> living the good life. Like, oh, wait, she's a teacher. <laughs> For me, it's the good life. Yes, it's awesome perspective. And I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's been extremely enlightening and very positive. And I think that our listening audience is really going to enjoy it as well. So I can't thank you enough for taking time, uh, being probably one of the busiest times of the school year for you to do this during Teacher and Coach Appreciation Month. And hopefully we'll be able to get you back on in a few years and catch back up with everything. I'm going to definitely bring some of my favorite guests back on for boomerang episodes, as I'm calling them. But thank you again for taking some time to do this today, Corey. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. And let me just say, as a teacher, you know, seeing my former students just become full-fledged, productive, happy, inspiring adults like you is, is really what it's all about also. So I'm just so happy to stay connected to the people I met in the very first five years of my career and, and see how wonderful you're doing. So thanks a lot. Wow, what a conversation that was. And if you didn't believe me earlier in the conversation when I said that Corey is an amazing person and somebody that you could truly learn a lot from, then I hope after listening now you are convinced. Thank you again to Corey for coming on and sharing everything that she did This is a real busy time for her with softball and school coming to a close. And I can't be more appreciative of the time that we got to spend together for this podcast. Quick thanks to our sponsor, Sweat With Stods. Go to today to see what she can do for your fitness future. And as always, thank you to the listening audience. You guys are great. Come back every week. You keep me motivated to do this and put out great content and find amazing guests. So... Keep coming back, keep leaving reviews, ratings, everything that can help make this show stronger. We are back next week with another guest for the final episode of Teacher and Coaches Appreciation Month on the podcast. Stay tuned for that.